Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thank you for joining us in this episode of Research and Pharmacy Practice. This series focuses on discussions for all things related to research, including fundamentals, best practices, and practical advice for all of us interested in contributing to the advancement of knowledge. My name is Vicki Vasiliga, and in today's episode, we'll be chatting with Julia Landis and Libby Jacob about their ASHP's best practice award-winning program at Kettering Health. For those of you unfamiliar with the ASHP best practices, this award recognizes outstanding practitioners in pharmacy who have successfully implemented innovative systems that demonstrate best practices in pharmacy practice. Welcome and thanks for joining us today. Thank you. So let's first start with a brief introduction. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself, your team, and your practice location? Yeah, sure. My name is Julia Landis, and I am the Director of Clinical Pharmacy Services for Kettering Health, which is a um, health system located in the Dayton, Ohio area. And my name is Libby Jacob. I am the manager of pharmacy residency programs at Kettering Health, and I am on Julia's network clinical pharmacist team as well. Perfect. So can you guys tell me a little bit about your project? How did you get started? And then again, because I feel like everything is really kind of defined on what success is. So how did you guys define success? Sure. Um, I'll get started giving a little bit of background about the project. So as I mentioned previously, we are a health system um, located in the Dayton, Ohio area, but it serves a pretty large geographic region. We have 14 medical centers and 120 outpatient facilities. And with the introduction of the oral COVID treatment options to our network, it was pretty obvious early on that there was a need to restructure the way that we were providing treatment to patients. We had been providing the uh, monoclonal antibodies for COVID since November of 2020. So that process was outlined pretty well. Providers were familiar with the um, criteria for utilization for those monoclonal antibodies. Their referrals were sent straight to the IV infusion centers. Once the oral medications were put into place, there was a lot of confusion surrounding when a patient should receive an IV treatment or one of the oral treatments. And because we had our pharmacy services operating pretty independently of each other, that is our infusion centers were operating independently from our retail pharmacy services, and we had no ambulatory care pharmacy services at that time to really help coordinate treatment selection, Um, there was a lot of confusion about where they should send patients for treatment. And because our inventory of our oral treatments were actually lower than the monoclonal antibodies when they were first introduced in January of uh, 2022, the criteria for utilization was stricter for the oral patients, uh, oral treatment options. So it became pretty um, evident that we needed to restructure that process and identify a way to make those decisions easier for the providers. There are a lot of different treatment nuances compared to the IV and the oral treatments, including drug interactions, organ dysfunction, symptom onset date. And so all of those different pieces were confusing for the providers as well. And 
when we got the project started, really my main uh, point of success or what I defined as successful was interdisciplinary buy-in and provider support. Um, the way that this was pitched as a pharmacist-driven decision uh, process, uh, especially in the outpatient setting, was something that was very new to our network. And we really did have unwavering support from the key stakeholders and physician leaders from outpatient setting, the emergency department setting, and our uh, PNT, our Pharmacy and Therapeutics Committee chair. And that was very evident, um, you know, from the time of inception at January 2020 to now, um, we've been able to uh, process over 20,000 referrals and provide uh, treatment for nearly all of those patients. And with that, uh, 20,000 referrals, approximately 80% of all those referrals included one or more options for uh, the pharmacist to decide what treatment the patient was going to get. So the providers were really putting that in the pharmacist's hands. And I think that that is just a huge part of the success of the program. Yeah, I'd say 20,000 referrals was pretty successful. Um. <laughs> <laughs> the time that we the best practice, um, you know, manuscript, we were at uh, close to 3,000 referrals. So it, wow, yeah. The volume increased quite a bit after June of 2020. Um, we had a very busy summer and early fall and into the winter. So um, thankfully, we're seeing those numbers decrease significantly recently. But yes, we um, you're, are from the time that we started to now, it's uh, over 20,000. That's wonderful. Um, so obviously that is a huge like machine that you guys put together. Can you tell me how you developed the consultation and referral process? Um, and because that's so many people, how did you ensure that patients didn't slip through the cracks? Uh, and you know, you talked about referrals. So how did you work with your providers to identify and treat patients? Sure. Um, so we really leaned on the NIH guidelines of how to um, prioritize treatment and patient selection. So when I started really reviewing the guideline recommendations from the NIH, um, it was easy to sort of identify a algorithm of treatment selection um, with the most um, the most preferred agent being Paxlovid, and then moving forward to the monoclonal antibodies as kind of our second choice at that time. And so we knew we wanted to try to get as many patients over to Paxlovid safely, but that would require a lot of patient review um, of drug interactions and um, their past medical history. So I essentially wrote an algorithm up, honestly, on like a napkin mm -hmm. <laughs> um, when I was trying to brainstorming this. And I... Um, went over it with my network clinical team, and I said, does this make sense, you know, how, how we're going to do this? And um, they gave me a lot of great feedback and support at that time. So um, the next day, I got our pharmacy leaders um, on a call and our executive director and pitched the idea to them because I knew that their pharmacists were the ones that were going to really need to um, – drive this process because we did not have anybody identified that would really make sense. Um, so that would include the retail pharmacist and the infusion center pharmacist at that time. 
and they were very willing to um, try this process out. They were supportive. We knew that we had an opportunity to help patients in our region because we were a health system that were dispensing both types of the products, the orals and the monoclonal antibodies. Um, and then shortly after that, I had a meeting set up with several physician stakeholders, including the medical director of outpatient services, our quality director, our uh, medical director of emergency department, and our pharmacy and therapeutics committee chair. And that's where we established the criteria for utilization and included um, details on how the referral process would work. So one of the key points of the referral process was that the providers would have to opt in for the treatments uh, that the patients would be referred for. So it wasn't a patients will be included, will be reviewed for all available treatment options. It was a more of a choice for the physicians or the providers on what they felt were they were most comfortable with their uh, patients being referred to. And, and the Physician stakeholders felt like that was going to really help with the uptake of the process from providers, that they felt like there was at least some control in what their patients would be selected for. Um, but as I mentioned previously, when uh, we did receive these referrals, 80% or more of the referrals had more than one treatment selected. So they were really putting those choices in the pharmacist's hands depending on what was best for their patients. After it was approved, we leaned heavily on our electronic health record to help uh, communicate our criteria for utilization and the treatment options that were available to the providers. Um, we have a large network of, as I mentioned, uh, 14 medical centers and over 120 outpatient facilities. So to be able to really communicate all of those different nuances and emails or huddles or phone calls, meetings, that was going to be very difficult. So we thought that having everything right at the fingertips of the providers when they entered the referral was the best way of really communicating uh, how we were rolling out the referral process and then any changes that would need to be made could be done very easily in that record. Um, so with that, we had a, a very um, knowledgeable uh, Willow analyst that helped us make this electronic health record that also had a number of cascading questions that helped direct the providers to the most appropriate treatments for their patient based on symptom onset and things like that. So that also helped to kind of narrow the patient uh, review process for those pharmacists that were looking over the patients to decide what treatments they were going to get. Yes, and then the next part after that was who um, was actually going to process these referrals. So as Julia mentioned, we didn't have a presence of pharmacists in the outpatient setting at this time. So we really had to pull together a group of pharmacists out of their normal workflow that would be willing to be to cover this consultation queue. Um, and so that, as I said, was a big part of my role. Um, I spent many hours myself processing the referrals and in the queue, and I also um, did a majority, if almost all of the pharmacist education. Um, we basically planned training meetings electronically over a virtual communication platform that we put together, and I 
was able to educate over 30 pharmacists that were really volunteering to help out, um, and I think that says a lot about our employees as well. A lot of people were willing, really willing to pitch in and put in time into this console outside of their normal work hours and workflow. Um, and that had great support and blessing from the pharmacy directors across the network as well because I had to put out a call to pharmacists who will help us with this COVID queue. So um, that was a really great and uplifting process for me, and I really enjoyed getting to know a lot of pharmacists across the network that I had never interacted with before that were jumping in to be trained on this COVID queue. So I put together all the education documents, and then I held meetings where I showed in real time as consults came in, how to process and kind of walk everybody through those clinical decision points um, and how to make the best selection for patients. And then we also had a great process um, in, a, as I mentioned, a communi virtual communication platform where we had anybody who was involved, any uh, anyone that was involved in a consult as members of this platform. So we were able to have real-time communication. We had chats going, which allowed us to close the loop on patient treatment options. If we were sending one out to the outpatient, we would tag them, and they would say, you know, we got it, and we're dispensing it. And that way, we really know, knew and were able to follow the patients from point A all the way to point Z to know that they were getting treated. Um, we also housed all the documents there, and if there was an update to the process or to the education documents, we would post those updates and update the documents. Everybody knew that that platform was a source of truth for the information they needed to be successful in the queue. So um, that was kind of education and the, the communication platform were, were pivotal in this process as well. And then I know that you asked um, about kind of how we made sure that patients did not fall through the cracks um, and we wouldn't miss patients. Um, in the emergency department, uh, there was an alert in our electronic health record for patients with positive COVID results that drove the providers to that outpatient referral consult. Um, so they would say there would be an alert that would come up that said your patient is COVID positive. If they meet any one of these criteria, consider a consult for treatment, review, and selection. And especially early on in the pandemic, uh, between the months of January and uh, June into July, um, the only way the providers could actually order any of the treatments, including the oral medications, was through the referral process. And I think that that speaks quite a bit um, just to the, uh, the trust that the providers and the, especially the physician leaders had in the pharmacist-driven process because even as the drugs became more uh, readily available at outside retail pharmacies, they still felt that the safest option for the providers and the patients to be reviewed thoroughly for the most appropriate treatment was through this referral queue. So they really wanted us to try to help make those treatment decisions um, well beyond the time that kind of inventory was our main um, bottleneck in getting patients treatment. So um, that's how we tried to ensure that as many patients that were appropriate were getting treated and treated, treated appropriately given their uh, past medical history, comorbidities, age, symptom onset, um, and all the other um, uh, things that you need to think about with COVID treatment. Yeah, so it sounds like you guys were tracking a lot. Um, so in your original poster presentation that you presented at the mid-year clinical meeting as a part of the uh, best practices awarding, 
Um, you mentioned the use of a dashboard. Can you tell us a little bit more about what metrics were part of the dashboard and how your team used it to measure progress um, and also to identify pain points? Yes, so our uh, dashboard was um, pretty comprehensive. We, uh, the main metrics that we tracked were referral numbers um, and what treatments were selected by the providers when they submitted the referral. It also collected the patient criteria um, that we used to help identify patients that uh, were eligible for the different treatments, as well as the referral source. So whether it came from an emergency department, a physician office, a on-demand uh, clinic. And what that really helped us do was drive decisions on our treatment algorithm. So it uh, enabled us to make decisions that were data-driven and helped us improve the number of patients that we could uh, really treat by increasing our criteria for utilization. So we were able to make several edits and updates to our um, algorithm pretty quickly because we were able to navigate these different treatments efficiently and use our resources um, very judiciously. So because we kind of centralized that process of review, um, we were able to ensure that the greatest number of patients were able to be treated. Um, and then we always had to consider our capacity at our COVID infusion center. And so that was, we were able to see that as we improve the number of patients that were put over to the oral treatments, we were able to maybe loosen some criteria for the IV infusions. So it was just a way of us to be able to make decisions and make it quickly without having to really uh, dig for data reporting and find those numbers later on. We could do it in almost a, uh, it, it was just a day behind our dashboard data. So we were able to make real-time decisions quickly from that dashboard. Mm -hmm. Another thing that we tracked on that dashboard was the turnaround time from the point of referral to the point of a treatment being sent for the patient. Um, and we, at the beginning, we had promised a turnaround time goal of 24 hours, and that is what we had communicated to the physicians, you know, give us 24 hours to get a treatment out for your patients after you re send in a referral. Um, and we used that metric to ensure that we were meeting that goal and to communicate expectations to the providers, depending on the volume that we were, you know, well meeting that or, hey, we might be a little bit behind. Um, but actually, our average turnaround time was actually about four hours, which we were really, you know, proud of and um, something that the providers had come to really trust that quick turnaround time as well. And we used that sometimes in the really high volume times to put out a call on that virtual platform, quote unquote, a call to say, is there anyone available to please hop on and help us in the queue? We need a couple more people. So it was really all hands on deck. And that was another benefit of having so many pharmacists kind of in the pool of people who could help cover. Um, and we also used that, you know, time that we needed to call out for help to, to um, justify new FTEs. So we were able to get three FTEs justified from that data, um, and, you know, that dashboard was really pivotal for that kind of information of work workload and volume. That's fantastic. Um, so I love that you guys could adapt almost with it, like almost instantaneously. Um, can you tell me a little bit about some of the lessons you learned along the way when developing the program? Um, you know, especially since you went from 3,000 when you submitted the application to now over 20,000 screenings. Um, what was the easiest part 
uh, about your project? What was the hardest and what surprised you the most? Sure. Um, I think something that you mentioned about pivoting quickly um, was a um, centralizing resources is probably the, the biggest thing that I noted from uh, putting this process into place is that innovation really does not have to be complex um, or require a vast number of resources. Uh, truly simplification and centralization can make an impact and be very innovative um, because what that does is it provides, you know, less opportunity for variability. Um, it allows for um, the efficiency of rolling out changes. Um, you don't have to uh, lean on 120 outpatient facilities to ensure that providers are up to date on the most uh, the, the newest monoclonal antibody or, you know, now remdesivir is the only IV option. Uh, trying to keep up with those types of changes in something like a landscape of COVID would have been nearly impossible for us to roll out in any other method um, than what we did by centralizing all of those resources. Um, so I think that that was just a big light bulb moment for me about um, just innovation in general. Um, the easiest or like the most surprising thing about it was we had unwavering stakeholder approval and support um, across all the service lines of pharmacy as well as uh, the different um, service lines that were referring their patients to us for patient review. And I was, um, like I said, a little shocked by that because our some of those providers had not had as much interaction with pharmacists. But because we had a process that was solid, um, it was standard, it was reviewed and approved by key stakeholders, I think it was easier for them to accept the help that was needed, um, especially in the throes of COVID and with their patient volume being so high, I think they were really grateful to have something, a resource to lean on that they could trust. Um, our dashboard was very, uh, pivotal and being able to provide that data to them quickly so that they could continue to trust that process. Um, as Libby said, we were very transparent with um, if our volumes were getting high, that our turnaround time may be a little slower, but we are always going to meet that 24-hour turnaround time. So providing those expectations up front, I think, also helped us with that, with that support. Probably the hardest Thing was maintaining the program through the speed of the changes that COVID um, lent us. Um, the volume of patients could change very quickly and it did, it accelerated very fast during the summer. And that was something that we typically don't see with respiratory viruses. So I think that was really a surprise to a lot of us. And then changing the therapeutic options out and then managing that on top of the other responsibilities that we all had. Um, Libby alluded to that earlier as well, that we were all hands on deck several times, um, but we did have the support of our directors to help us and our executives to uh, jump in when necessary. Um, I also did several uh, patient referrals as well um, just to get that work done and really make sure that our most vulnerable patients were taken care of um, and reestablish our priorities during those very, very busy summer months. And then, of course, having those established FTEs approved really helped us then be able to hand over the reins to a specific number of people um, that were 
basically experts in that role. It became more efficient for them to do it, to do them all because they were used to doing them day in and day out. And so it just really came together very nicely um, considering all of the different changes that we had to make throughout the you know now year and a half that we've been providing this service. So what advice do you have for hospitals and health systems who would seek to replicate this practice model for their patients? Yeah, so I, I know I've, I've um, talked about this a number of times, but stakeholder approval is key, especially if you're venturing into new areas where pharmacists may not have um, as big of a presence. Uh, we now have um, several ambulatory care pharmacists in our health network, and um, I like to think that establishing this service with our outpatient providers helped to uh, develop some of that trust and uh, pave the way, uh, pave the way for those pharmacists to be implemented into our network. But it really was sitting down with those key stakeholders and understanding what their pain points were and providing solutions to them that would help improve their workflow and improve patient care. And um, centralizing when you have fewer resources, again, I think that that is something that um, we can probably use for future initiatives. Um, I think it's shown that we were able to uh, provide a service for a large network. Um, we actually have done referrals for over 500 different providers as well. You know, and to say that one or two pharmacists is able to provide that service across a network that vast with that many providers and practice sites is just, it speaks volumes to what we can do when we focus efforts um, towards kind of one patient population or um, comorbid state. Yes, and I would just like to finally add that communication is obviously pivotal as well. I think our virtual platform was pivotal in the implementation and closed loop communication across the service lines um, and across the different pharmacy departments. And then as Julie alluded to, communication with the stakeholders across, you know, the entire process from the beginning, their involvement through and at the end as well, and communication with, you know, the providers that are out in the offices to talk about our turnaround times, any changes that are happening, and just keep them really abreast of what we're doing in our service so that they can continue to trust our process. Julie and Libby, thank you so much. That's all the time we have today. If you all haven't before, I encourage you to check out ASHP and the ASHP's Foundation's research resources. You can find member-exclusive offerings such as the Preceptor Toolkit, the Research Resource Center, and exchange ideas with your peers on the ASHP Education Connect community. If you've enjoyed today's episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe to ASHP Official Podcast for more great content from ASHP. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.